You may have heard the rumor about a coup in China. Well, I have a friend of mine who would know if that's a real thing or, or not a real thing. But you probably didn't hear about some military exercises that are being run uh, by some companies or probably countries who, whose leaders don't mean us well. And it seems like a big deal. But once again, who am I to say that when I can have a retired special forces person come on? Michael Rourke joins us on The Todd Herman Show. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. All this week, celebrating the team that made this all happen. We're in the top one half of 1% of downloads for podcasts, and uh, we have a major announcement coming up this week uh, in terms of the future of the podcast, your loyalty, and obviously the uh, just grace of God brought this together. So I think we're going to go ahead and announce this Friday. I keep teasing it, but we've got to get it done this week. So we'll announce this on Friday. Michael Rourke, friend of mine, a retired special forces operator. Love that word. I wish I could be called an operator of something. Joins us now on the Todd Herman Show. Mike, welcome back. Hey, Todd. Always good to talk with you. Mike runs a company called Advanced Operational Concepts and spends a bit of time overseas, including in the uh, beautiful People's Republic of China, which Nancy Pelosi had said is the freest nation on earth. Quite a thing to say. Uh, let's kick this off with a rumor that the dictator of China, Xi, has been um, imprisoned by his military leadership. So uh, Saturday reports started circulating, uh, some out in public. Um, I first heard it within some uh, private groups I belong to that cover different parts of the world. And the uh, one group I belong to that covers the uh, uh, open source information concerning uh, China and Taiwan, uh, people started getting spun up because uh, Xi, uh, Xi Jinping, was not at a meeting, a, a very important meeting where he would normally be front and center. So that raised some eyebrows. Then uh, people started noting, hey, a whole bunch of uh, domestic flights within China were canceled. And then someone else reported there is a military convoy some 80 kilometers long heading towards Beijing. Well, I, I tried to run these uh, to ground. The, um, yes, some of these things, all these things did actually happen, but I could find nothing that uh, referenced it being involved with a coup because international flights in and out of China were still operating. And the uh, China's uh, founding day, their, their big national day, is coming up on October 1st. So it looks like the uh, the convoy was just uh, military units moving to take their places in um, preparation for the national day. Um, I was over in Hong Kong during the 70th anniversary uh, on the national day in uh, 2019. And there was a lot, you know, a lot of things going on there at that time, obviously with a lot of, uh, you know, civil unrest. So the, the reports of a coup are entirely unfounded. I think some people were getting spun up and, you know, maybe some wishful thinking. Um, but uh, consider it business as usual in China right now. 
Okay, so <laughs> I don't know if that's good news. Uh, I mean, I don't know that a military coup in China is a good news uh, because I wouldn't know the personalities involved. Uh, but business as usual with China, what does that mean in your mind now for the United States, business as usual with China? Um, our escalating rivalry continues. Uh, uh, Xi Jinping is still firmly in control. He's uh, going to come up for a third term here shortly. He has the uh, general secretary of the Central Committee of the Communist Party. Um, he managed to get the Constitution, you know, such as it is, uh, changed in his favor to allow that to happen. So um, our rivalry with China continues to uh, escalate. Um, Xi and Putin continue to become closer and uh, working towards probably an eventual strategic alliance uh, designed to oppose the United States and the West writ large. And that opposition, uh, I guess, uh, as a praying man, I would, I would pray that that not become kinetic, as you guys might call it, military. Uh, it's definitely, I think, going to become financial. And, I mean, there's a lot they could do on that front to disrupt us. I know that you have clients that you help um, navigate business in China from a security perspective and a safety perspective and an intel perspective. Do you think that she would shy away from uh, a military confrontation with the United States or is there a possibility that he hungers for that? Um, I don't think he hungers for it. The, um, and China is not ready for it. Um, you know, that, that, that's for sure. The last time that they had, uh, were engaged, the People's Liberation Army was engaged in any significant combat was in 1979 against Vietnam, and they didn't fare very well. And that, you know, that was a, uh, and that was a country they share a border with. So not, no one, you know, on any side, I think, is hungering for a kinetic war. Um, but I can tell you right now that it's definitely a proxy war between NATO and Russia going on in Ukraine. Uh, based on the amount of support that we've provided Ukraine, and that uh, you know, and Putin recognizes the fact that yeah, he's he's up against the West, even though we're not directly fighting. What are we fighting over uh, in this proxy war? Because I want to talk about this this military exercise uh, called Vostok, and um, I read an article calling this the military convergence of Eurasia. So I want to talk about that. But what are we fighting over in Russia? or in Ukraine, rather, what are we, well, in this, this proxy war, what do we want? Um, well, we want, obviously, the uh, uh, Russia to leave Ukraine alone, but we're all, you know, also, through what we're doing is we're kind of uh, bleeding Russia, um, both in uh, men and material. Um, what Putin wants is to bring under the Russian umbrella these uh, various populations of ethnic Russians that exist in uh Eastern Ukraine, but also in uh, some of the uh, former uh, former uh, Soviet republics, you know, some of the various stands. And, he, you know, he kind of has one eye on the uh, Baltic states, uh, Estonia, Lithuania, uh, Latvia. And is this just, I mean, I don't want to say just geopolitics. I mean, is... <sighs> I guess I, I'm in the mood, Mike, where I don't trust the governments in the United States even a little bit. And I look at some of the conflicted interests like the, the bio labs and maybe, you know, that's not true. I, I've, I've heard 
I've, I've heard conversations that seem to be people in our state department orchestrating coups in Ukraine. Um, and in fact, I mean, it's, it's difficult to hear the phone conversations as anything else in the Oliver Stone documentary. But then again, I don't know that I trust Oliver Stone. I, I, I mean, it seems to be very solid reporting. So is it simply that they don't want Putin to have that? Is it oil? Is it energy? Uh, is it all the above? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that one's a little harder to, uh, you know, to, to run to ground. The, I mean, the main thing is that Putin started the war. Uh, I mean, you remember, I think uh, we talked before it kicked off and you asked me, you know, did I think Russia was really going to go in? And I said, yes, absolutely. They're going in. Um, I think we had that conversation not too long before the, uh, the things kicked off. So th- this war is hundred percent of Putin's making. Um, and it's just, you know, we're, you know, our side, the West NATO is doing what they can to counter it in a variety of methods, whether it's, you know, from the actual support, uh, you know, lethal support we're giving Ukraine, um, sanctions placed on, uh, on Russia against, you know, the, um, Putin's government, which are turning out to be, uh, so far nowhere near as effective as, uh, you know, as we had hoped. Yeah. He's making so. more money on oil. I mean, he's making more money on energy. This is this, this, um, you know, being dependent upon folks who don't wish you well isn't always a great idea. And President Trump had warned Germany, hey, when Putin decides to pull the plug on you, uh, he's going to pull the plug on you. And he did that. Uh, and that's that's going to cause, you know, some some big issues here. Uh, I guess, Mike, I, I am having trouble uh, developing a zeal for this. Um, I don't want innocent Ukrainians murdered. I do think Putin is doing that. I don't. I, you know, there are people, members of my audience who want me to be fans of Putin, and that's not going to happen, nor am I a fan of Zelensky, frankly. Um, And I don't need to be a fan of someone to say, okay, well, our national interests are thus. And I guess I'm trying to understand our national interests in pouring, what are we now? I mean, I don't know, we're going to get to a trillion dollars in Ukraine, and you feel good about this, and, and you know more about this stuff than I do, and, and you think Americans should feel good about this decision? Um, well, actually, on the numbers of on the numbers of uh, what we've contributed to Ukraine um, since 2014, um, I want to say it's uh, over a bit over 15 billion dollars, the vast majority of which has been uh, since the uh, since the invasion. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a, uh, you know, foreign aid is overall foreign aid is less than 1% of the U S budget. I, it's going to be, I don't see us getting towards a trillion in Ukraine and, you know, certainly not anytime soon. Good. Um, yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, I, I think Putin needs to be opposed. I think he needs to be uh, held in check. Um, this is, this is, you know, one man's opinion. Um, I think the, the more that, the more they lose in in Ukraine, the, the safer it is for NATO. The um, people used to fear the Red Army; it's still called the Red Army, even, yeah. you know, name from the Soviet days. And it's, it's turned out to be uh, not, certainly not a paper tiger, tiger, but an incompetent tiger. And uh, <laughs> when we get to Vostok, we'll uh, you know we'll, we'll talk more about that. Uh, I but like that. In, in, in the, an incompetent tiger. I, I like when I can have a conversation with a friend that I start to feel better about world events. Okay. I feel better. 
I should send you a fee for therapy. Um, for it making you feel better. <laughs> so when I read about Vostok, and this is um, happening or happened from September 1st to the 7th, it was conducting these military exercises under a, a big, big uh, um, Russian military chief, general staff, uh, Russia's general chat staff. I don't know his name, but you probably do. And I read about the, the countries that were involved in this. Um, some of them I don't even recognize. Some I do. Syria, Nicaragua, that got my attention. Nicaragua being involved in this. China, India. Uh, those countries got my attention, particularly India, since, of course, they're dear friends of ours. And Russia, China, India, Nicaragua, Syria involved in this, this interoperative, in, interoperative exercises, uh, you know, because I've never served and never had to go put myself in harm's way in that. I guess to me, that looks a little imposing, but I, am I looking at a bunch of, uh, what'd you call them, incompetent tigers? Well, let's say Vostok uh, 2022 is, is what they call it. It's an exercise involving the forces under the Russian Eastern Military District. Um, there are 13 total countries involved. Uh, looking at the list here, uh, you know, besides Russia, you Azerbaijan, Algeria, Armenia, Belarus, India, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, China, Laos, Mongolia, Nicaragua, Syria, and Tajikistan. Um, now, a lot of this, some of these countries will have just sent observers. Uh, with India, uh, they send an element uh, from their uh, Gurkha regiment, um, People's Liberation Army. You know, obviously China said that their participation was uh, probably more than 2,000 people, uh, including 300 vehicles, 20 fixed-wing and rotary-wing aircraft, and then People's Liberation Army Navy ships that were operating off of uh, Russia's uh, east coast. The um, Vostok is simply the Russian word east, and they run this exercise every four years, and other exercises rotate among a total of four of Russia's five military districts. Um, you've got um, one called Zapad, which means West, which took place in 2021. Kavkaz, uh, which means Caucasus, which took place in their Southern Military District 2020. Uh, Centar, or Center, in 2019. So, yeah, along with the North Military District, Russia has um, five total military districts, and these major exercises rotate each year among four of them. Um, as you said, the... the, the uh, the war games were held from uh, the 1st to 7th of September across nine training grounds in their, uh, in their district, as well as uh, areas they designated in the, uh, on the Sea of Japan and the Sea of uh, uh, Okhotsk, which is off the uh, coast of Russia, north of Japan. And they claim that 50,000 troops. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I, I just want to ask you, I mean, um, as we go through the facts of this, again, I'm feeling better. This is why I like to turn to you whenever these things come up and we talk about them on the show. This sounds like nothing to worry about. It's um, from an actual military standpoint, it's actually kind of interesting in that um, I think people were able to observe that Russia has not absorbed any lessons learned from Ukraine. Their formations are still uh, in, in this exercise over six months into uh, you know, their invasion in Ukraine. They're still using Soviet-era tactics, um, which is not, you know, has not been turning out well for them on the ground in, uh, in eastern Ukraine. Um, on, a, on a larger scale, 
we're looking at the, you know, the involvement of uh, China, not their first time. Uh, I think they were first in this exercise in 2018. And at that time, it was uh, primarily the invitation to China was primarily to show them, hey, this is not an anti-China, you know, war game. We're not focused on you guys as a, uh, as a potential target. So in uh, that exercise was actually quite a bit larger from a Russian participation standpoint. Uh, 2018, Russia claimed 300,000 uh, troops were involved. That that number is wildly inflated. Uh, at most, it might have been around 100,000, which is still not insignificant. Um, but now the participation is only um, – Ru- Russia claimed it was 50,000. However, uh, UK's Ministry of Defense, they – they say it's probably no more than 15,000 total. And they even pulled a, uh, <clears throat> some units from the Ukraine fight to participate. What they call, uh, what in the West they call Marines, um, Russia they call them naval infantry, which have been engaged in Ukraine. And they're actually pulled in to take part in, in these exercises, which is probably a welcome break for those naval infantry uh, troops. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and so if, if we're looking at this, this is, this happens every four years, nothing to be concerned about, uh, particularly, um, what do you as an opera, what, what keeps you, I don't know. I don't want to say concerned because I know you well enough to know. I don't think a lot of things concern you. You, you, you know, you're sort of the person who brings the storm and that's what you guys have done. Um, I guess I'm looking at, at this alignment here. Uh, I am looking at energy. I'm looking at food supply. Energy is our infrastructure is being tortured, uh, in, in, at least domestically. I look at what's happening in Europe and, and my friend Zach Abraham, Bulwark Capital Management, who's on our show every Friday, says, yeah, this is going to lead to indirect and perhaps you know direct deaths. I'm looking at food supply uh, issues that are, to me don't look to be all that organic. Um, I'm watching farmers being told you're going to have to eliminate uh, your livestock. I'm looking at the world being squeezed, utterly squeezed. And then we get now one of the major, I guess, possible major exporters of oil in this situation. A lot of this, without my faith in God, would have me very concerned. I know how this all ends. But where should our concern be if it's not Russia and it's, it's not particularly China? Where, 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 should, where, where, should, where should we be looking? Well, I'm definitely not saying don't be concerned about Russia and China. Obviously, Russia is the, uh, is the biggest threat to Europe yeah. on, you know, on the ground. China is uh, the biggest threat to the United States currently. Um, China is, in some ways, although they, ha- they haven't, uh, neither China nor India, you know, the, the two biggest players on the Asian continent, neither one of them have condemned the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, both are still dealing with Russia. Um, China's uh, buying oil from Russia. They're getting like 2 million barrels of Russian crude a day at discounted prices, you know, below market rate. Um, they are supplying Russia with things, uh, you know, they have dual uses. A uh, big one is uh, aluminum oxide, which is used to make aluminum, and aluminum is used in the uh, you know, defense industry in, in a major way. Um, India is still getting oil from uh, uh, from China. Uh, I'm sorry, from uh, from Russia. And of course, they participated in the exercise. And while not maybe solidly aligned with Russia, there's always been a very strong relationship going back to the Soviet days. A lot of uh, Indian weapons 
and weapon systems have come from Russia. So there's, there's, there, there's still things to be concerned about. The food supply thing, I was definitely concerned. I was on that one early um, before the uh, war kicked off. Now they're letting, uh, Russia is letting some uh, grain shipments come out of uh, Odessa, the uh, major uh, Ukrainian port on the Black Sea. Um, but still, there's a uh, there, there's a potential for food issues, less so in the United States, more so in the developing world. Um, a major place to keep an eye on will be Egypt. You know, why? in a lot of these countries, um, the price of wheat is subsidized or it's price of bread, which is a major staple. Like you know, if you've been in, the, in parts of the Middle East, you see um, their flat bread. You know, it's pretty much everywhere. Um, keep an eye on those prices. And especially the subsidized price, which the poor people in these countries will have a very difficult time affording. Yeah, and, and I that concerns me on a global basis and on a basis of life, obviously. Um, I am not as bullish on we're not going to reach – I don't think we'll reach starvation in the United States, but uh, we're going to be pricing some people out of food and – it's, it's a good thing that Bill Gates is sitting there ready to have us all eat plastic fake meat uh, and bugs because, you know, bugs are good and plastic fake meat as well. It's none of it's good. Uh, we'll continue with Michael Rourke. I, w- I want to talk about military readiness. Um, just colloquially, I have some concerns, but you know better than I do. I mentioned Zach Abraham, Bulwark Capital Management, uh, Chief Investment Officer. Like Mike, um, Zach has been you know, talking about the food issue and and particularly energy issue. Their focus has been energy. And it's interesting as you look back on what Zach has been telling us, uh, you know, the, the core energy is that is continuing to be derided and we're continuing to see ESG score behaviors. It, it's, it, it even goes to the level of ridiculousness on on core parts of, say, Tesla, right? That's, oh, it's, it's, it's an electric car. Yeah, well, what about the core elements in that? What about the copper and the zinc and not to mention the lithium, et cetera? See, these are things that don't make it into mainstream financial discussions for whatever reason. Um, and yet, over this period of a decade, what Zach's been telling us is happening. And that's why his approach is predicated upon being a realist about the financial system that exists. And in my judgment, it's fair to say it's a, it's, it's a mobbed up system. So in a mobbed up system, the, you know, the civilized 60, 40 stock bond mix, which is simplicity in itself, that may work when you're 30, 35 years from retiring, but five to 10 years from retirement, it's nuts. Because there's all this risk involved, we're talking about volatility with Mike here. So Zach's fund, Bulwark Capital Management, is entirely obsessed with and focused on risk management. And that's why they hedge. That's why there's hedges upon hedges. That's why when you hear him on our show, you hear a different approach to finance and one that involves real honesty, but it also comes from a perspective of stewardship because that's who Zach and his wife are. Yeah, there's so many conflicts of interest these days. You know, Nancy Pelosi's insider trading, et cetera, and her money's not where our money is. Not so with Zach and his wife. 90% of their personal net worth is tied up in the company that they offer you the opportunity to put your money in, particularly if you're five to 10 years out from retirement. But they, they, they constantly say, don't give us all your money. Yeah, a good majority of it, but keep some in other places in case we have a bad year. 
It's an amazing act of honesty. And Zach is my brother and my friend. I'm so proud to do business with him. Call him at 866-779-RISK. That's 866-779-RISK. Investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Board Capital Management's an investment representative, Trek by Financial LLC, and SEC registered investment advisor. Uh, Mike O'Rourke is with me. Mike is a retired special forces operative, has a company called Advanced Operational Concepts. There's a link uh, to Mike's company here in the notes, particularly if you do business internationally. Um, you had better be in the business of knowing how to protect your employees when they go over there. And for that matter, your secrets and, and probably protect yourself at home as well, because China's reach is large. Mike, when we read headlines uh, like this one about the uh, United States Air Force is telling uh, folks that they can no longer say mom or dad, um, that they have to say caregiver um, and I read about the, the, the zealous focus on making sure that all soldiers who think they're the opposite sex get access to the, um, the, the operations and the wrong sex hormones. And, uh, I read about that and I read about general Miley saying he wants to spend time understanding white rage, which he says he doesn't know anything about, but has determined its importance. Um, am I a silly man to be concerned that our military at the top, not the, not the men and women who serve and certainly not everyone at the top, uh, but am I a silly man to be concerned that they might be the slightest bit distracted? Um, I, I don't think uh, you're being silly at all. Uh, even back in my day, um, we were concerned about the amount of time that we had to take away from our you know, training for uh, combat you know, even in the special operations field to go to these mandatory, you know, training, uh, you know, training seminars on, you know, one thing or another. And I think now it's even, uh, it's, it's gotten, gotten completely out of hand. I know personally of special operators who have gotten out a large part uh, because of these sort of things, not because, you know, that they're, you know, they're biggest, they're racist, they're, uh, you know, homophobes or anything like that. But it's just, you know, they, they felt that uh, focus has been lost. And, you know, they figured it's, you know, time for them to move on to uh, to greener pastures. Hopefully, you know, this will be, uh, at least to the extent now, is something that, you know, will will go away over time if we get some different people in charge. You know, imagine being told, uh, yeah, don't say mom or dad, you know, the, the folks you're writing home to. Um, that, that, one, that, that just baffles me. Well, and then, uh, you know, the, the focus is one thing, but then there's also this, this, I guess, purposeful changing of the culture. This, this has me deeply, deeply concerned that military culture, and I'm only observer of it, you've lived it. Uh, am I wrong that part of the strength of, say, a team environment, special operations environments, or really, I guess, any environment, um, is that there, there are no lines of difference? Uh, you know, friends I have who served in team environments, those are their brothers forever and ever, and nothing will ever change that because of what they've been through. Um, is, is that your experience too? First of all, that, that, that unit cohesion was real and is permanent in your hearts with the men and women with whom you served? Absolutely. I'm, I'm still in touch with people that, you know, I went to war with in 2005, um, you know, people that, you know, I pop aside in, in Iraq, um, people from other, um, you know, special operations elements that I've worked with over the years, you know, so yeah, this is definitely, it's definitely a very tight community. Um, you know, you, you, you trust each other, you know, you have each other's back, 
you know, e- even now. So yeah, unit cohesion is a big thing. And I can't speak personally to what's happening in that regard uh, within, within the service branches, but um, I'm definitely hearing some things that, you know, come from the top that seem to be, uh, I guess not kosher, if you want to say, uh, you know, use a phrase. So I see the insertion of critical race theory, um, and I, I see the, the teaching of, of critical race theory-inspired uh, concepts like white privilege, um, like white rage, uh, like diversity, equity, inclusion, um, which is a, a fancy way of saying some people get special treatments. I, I cannot imagine how unit cohesion is helped by that, and if we're to go up from the um, – you know, the foundation of military readiness, um, training, uh, unit cohesion has to be somewhere at the foundation of that. How, uh, how can that possibly help us be ready to insert what are purposely divisive elements? Because um, critical race theory is critical theory just with a different flavor on top. It is meant to divide. Uh, how can that possibly help us with military readiness? Um, well, I mean, you said it, critical race theory is derivative of critical theory, which spawned from, you know, uh, communist doctrine. Uh, and in special forces, part of our training is learning about insurgencies, um, learning about how, you know, how cultures are subverted. And then w- with that training as a background and then seeing it actually happen, uh, the same thing within the military branches, it's, uh, it's incredibly disturbing. And it, it, I, I can't see how it adds at all to our warfighting capability. And in terms of our warfighting capability, um, I refuse to believe that we are anything other than the greatest military force on earth. And I think that, you know, (laughs) glory be to God for giving a country that has heretofore been, um, I don't want to say, and I don't want to be the world's cop. I'm past that. I don't know that we can afford that anymore, but someone's going to be, right? Some country's going to be in charge. If we don't have a change at the top, um, that is civilian leadership, that that really does have respect for the military being what it's supposed to be, you know, what's a, what does a 30-year, 40-year time horizon look like when this stuff is now expected of every single recruit is to buy into your country's rotten to the core? How, how does, what's that look like 30 or 40 years from now without a change? But without a change, I mean, it's, it's going to be devastating. Um, right now, you, you talked about the United States being the uh, you know most powerful dominant military on the planet, which we are. I want to say we, um, like in 2021, we spent just over $800 billion on uh, on defense. China was the second largest, and they're only around 230 billion. Um, so, you know, they can't match us. Russia is further down the line. Russia has spent, you know, spends less than... UK does, and they're just ahead of France uh, on, on total dollar-for-dollar know, dollar spending. Um, but one of the ways of our, our opponents, if you will, from uh, both, you know, both Asia and Eastern Europe is to attack cultures, attack from within, you know, basically try to cause the system to rot from within, which is a much more effective way of countering the world's largest military and, and a, uh, and, and, you know, and, and dominant Western society is if you can take it out from within, um, you know, you don't have to get into a kinetic fight. You can just weaken it. Uh, let, you know, let the system rot. Um, something to keep an eye on, which 
kind of shifted them from, you know, from the critical race theory and all that within, uh, you know, being taught within the United States. This is one way as we, over the winter, I think you can watch for uh, Russia to try to counter NATO. It's not kinetically, but by going, but by trying to convince the population to stop supporting uh, NATO support for Ukraine. This again, it's uh, asymmetric warfare. Yeah, you're going after the, the society writ large rather than just you know directly trying to counter a dominant military with a weaker military. Yeah, so that's the psychological warfare, psyops, right? That's the the, the social engineering en masse. Psychological, you know, you, you could call it societal warfare. You know, go after the support from uh, you know that the population gives their democracies. Russia doesn't care about you know whether they're what they're doing is popular within their own country or not. Um, for the most part, it actually is. Uh, but yeah, but they don't care because, you know, it's essentially a dictatorship. It's a, uh, it's a top down society. Yeah. But here, the, you know, but in the Western. But there, but I know we're moving away from the CRT discussion, but they're, they're, they're installing a critical theory into the populace um, of NATO countries saying, stop supporting this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I said, watch it. Yeah, watch it be stepped up as the uh, as winter comes around. Yeah. So we, uh, I want to just ask you a bit um, about business internationally because I, I wonder how aware people are of what you do, and I know you can't say for whom. Um, that's part of the reason people work with you, but I would love to talk about just a average Joe. Uh, business, you know, starts to do business in China or even established companies uh, doing business in China and what they don't know about what happens um, over there, because that is an area of just wonderful expertise that you have. Michael Rorker is with us. He is retired Special Forces operator and heads up Advanced Operational Concepts. Link there in the podcast notes. Yeah, it's funny because now I realize I haven't even sent you, and maybe you've bought it, but I haven't even sent Mike uh, Bone Frog coffee yet. This is a shame. Now, I know Navy SEALs. You, know, you ask someone about Navy SEALs, they. <laughs> I'm getting a thumbs down on the uh, the video from my friend, and I know that's a joke, but um, yeah, it's a it's a SEAL founded company. Um, Tim Cruikshank is a 25 year Navy veteran, Navy SEAL. And he, um, he founded Bonefrog to make money, sure, and that's an honorable pursuit. But to have a company organized around the following, God, country, team. And I bet I get a thumbs up from Rourke on that, God, country, team. And yes, <laughs> and it is also his opportunity to honor the, the families of SEALs who gave their lives defending this country. And proceeds from the company do go to that. Now, being a military guy, being an attention to detail guy, as you'd imagine, he put a lot of effort into learning the coffee business, loves coffee. So he reached out to a guy named Dave Stewart. Dave built, uh, really built Seattle coffee, Seattle's best coffee. Uh, it got acquired by Starbucks. He's a legend in the business. And Tim met with him. He said, you know what? I'll help you. So not only does he mentor Tim, on the coffee and that shows in the taste of the coffee. He actually does some of their blends himself, himself. So a coffee legend working on that. This also gives um, Tim and Bonefrog Coffee the opportunity to hire veterans, to work with veteran owned vendors. 
And it's small batch coffee. It's not big corporate coffee. Don't expect it to be Costco prices. It's not because it's not Costco. Because Tim works in every single roast. Just put the bets on the taste and on the company and back the company that matches taste with principles. And you can enjoy a lifetime 5% off Bonefrog Coffee if you go to bonefrog.us. Don't use the other dot. Bonefrog.us. And get 5% off lifetime subscriptions. Yes, there are K-Cups. Yes, you can get espresso roast. Yes, you can get drip. You can get French press. You can get all of the roasts in all sorts of different approaches from light to really, really heavy. It's bonefrog.us. I, uh, Mike, I remember there's this uh, great article. I still go and read it from time to time because it's, it's funny and entertaining that back in the day, uh, Wired Magazine did this thing where they bought a bunch of uh, brand new laptops. They didn't put any virus software on them, n- nothing to protect them, and they plugged them into networks. And then they watched. And they said, uh, how long did it take for malware to make it onto these machines and and what was the worst that could have happened and and it was a very very entertaining uh read and then i think back to my time in in politics and i remember being on an airplane and there was a guy sitting next to me and very clearly with the opposing political party and pulled up on his laptop and started to work on some campaign plans and he had no idea who i was and um, I availed myself of that. And I guess now as a discipled man, maybe I'd think that's, that's theft, although he was showing it to me. And I sat there and said, oh, that's interesting. This is what they're going to do. Uh, so for the average you know, company, average executive who's sending their, their folks over to China, like I've, I've got some friends who run a, a huge heavy equipment company uh, and they do business in China. Um, what is the reality of American firms who go do business uh, in, in communist China? The wholesale theft of uh, intellectual property and trade secrets and, and you know, anything you know, proprietary in a business uh, uh, standpoint is what China's after. It's part of their national strategy to uh, surpass the United States as an economic uh, superpower. When uh, someone goes to China, they have to expect, especially an executive with a company, um, and you know, and the, and the higher up you are, the bigger of a target you are. You, you're going to be targeted. Period. It's going to happen. And so, what these folks need to do is they need to look at ways to start protecting their information. I mean, it's everything from the networks you connect to, you know, connecting without a VPN, um, not having uh, your files encrypted, you know, and maybe even kept on you know, a separate hard drive. Uh, you, you know, you're a tech guy, Todd, you understand, you know, a lot of this stuff. But it's even to the point of uh, hotel room intrusions when you're not there. Wow. Uh, and it's, 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 it's done by the state. Uh, they, they target business travelers. A lot of uh, hotels that, um, that cater to international business tra- travelers, the rooms are going to be bugged. Uh, whether it's you know microphones and cameras, uh, and if you know, if they see you searching for these things, you know they're going to think that okay, well maybe this is a foreign spy, you know who has uh, you know who knows how to look for these things. Our, our biggest media inquiry is about how to find uh, hidden cameras and microphones in uh, in like Airbnbs, VRBOs, hotel rooms. 
Uh, when you go to these countries, I would say don't even look. Just expect that they're there. If you use in-room hotel safes, well, good. You put you put everything important in one in one spot. You know, for the for these uh, Ministry of State Security agents to access. You know, if you, if you ever gone to a hotel with one of these uh, safes in it, if you don't, if you want to see how insecure they are, just call the front desk and say, "Hey, I, I forgot my uh, I forgot the code I punched in," and watch how fast they can get it open. Um, you're going to be targeted. Your secret's going to be targeted. And a lot of companies um, that it was with something proprietary, they have, you know, a company that has a special sauce that makes them better their, than their competitors, probably 65% or more of that company's net worth, whether it's a private health company or a, uh, a publicly traded company, 65% or more is going to be tied to their intellectual property, um, you know, whether it's patents, whether it's uh, processes, and uh, you know, a lot of other things that make that company tick. And companies need to learn how to protect it. They need to learn how to protect it when, they, uh, when they're traveling abroad. Uh, they need they need to know how to protect it at home. Um, on the West Coast of the United States, there are more Ministry of State security agents than there are FBI agents. Um, say that I've again. seen statistics say, say, before. Say that one more time. On the West, just on the West Coast of the United States, there are more uh, Chinese Ministry of State security agents working than there are FBI agents. Wow. Um, and some some years ago. Um, and it was brief that uh, there, there could be as many as 3,000 companies within the United States, uh, Chinese operated companies, or, you know, whether publicly operated or, you know, quietly operated, that are dedicated to exfiltrating uh, American trade secrets back to China. Wow. So there's a, there's a map, there's a big threat here at home. Some of the things that uh, China has gone after here in the United States. Uh, they've gone after the color white. Um, they've gone after corn seeds. Um, you know, and you know, uh, I, you know, something you think of as mundane as that. Obviously, there's something uh, a little more involved with this. Uh, I think it was Dupont was the company, and there uh, it was titanium white. It was a special um, paint coating color that was used on uh, uh, proprietary processes, and it was worth a lot of money to them. Um, they they've caught Chinese. Uh, Agents in cornfields trying to steal uh, genetically modified seeds to take back to uh, to China and you know produce them on their own. It's it's pervasive. I just read about. So if um, you're, you're, yeah, your friend with the equipment company, if he's got if he does something proprietary, if he if he's making, you know, has his own design for machines, you know that that no one else has for the things he's making, he's a target. And does that targeting of executives? Um, it include, you know, like the, the, um, what's it called? The honey trap where they get. Absolutely. So, so wait, they will do that to American executives as well is send in some beautiful woman or attractive man and get somebody in a compromising position, um, take video and say, now you're going to, now you work for us. They'll do that to companies too. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they'll, they'll do that. Um, they'll, um, there are main ways you compromise someone or get someone to either, you know, betray their country or betray uh, their company is uh, under the, falls under the acronym MICE, M-I-C-E. Uh, it's money, ideology, uh, compromise or coercion, and ego. You, you find people that have uh, weaknesses in one or more of those uh, uh, areas, and it's relatively easy to flip them. They've had... Uh, proprietary uh, uh, wind turbine technology developed through the United States. 
They, uh, the company uh, signed a, the American company uh, based out of uh, Massachusetts signed a lucrative contract with China, um, you know, worth hundreds of millions of dollars. They had to get ship some of their technology over there. Once the Chinese company had it, they canceled the uh, contract. And then before, and then um, at, at one point, the American company was actually called in to repair something in a wind turbine. And they go in there and say, hey, this isn't, this isn't our technology. It's a copy of our technology, but it was made in China. So, and, and that was sold back here in the United States. I just read about, I think it's uh, over 40 uh, Chinese scientists who came over here to help us with our, our who, who came over and, and began working here and established lives here. And we're helping with things like, oh, nuclear technology, uh, who've recently been recruited yeah. back to China with the Chinese Communist Party. Um, it sounds to me like we began our conversation talking about perhaps, thank the Lord, this doesn't get to a kinetic state of war. Uh, but I would ask you, just as, as we wrap this up with Michael Rourke, are we already at war? Um, there, there, there are different levels of war. Um, there's asymmetric war where things are happening on a lot of different levels. I would say we're in, a, at the very least, strategic competition. With uh, with China, that sounds almost uh, that that sounds almost like a a careful diplomatic answer. And, uh, and you know whether whether you hear it or not, the uh, world makes a lot of headlines. The United States government, regardless of which you know which party's in charge, the United States government does take it seriously. It's just how they how they act publicly that uh, that probably differs between the parties. Well, so you think the people who run Joe Biden are seriously concerned about the Chinese Communist Party? They are, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. If go to um, go to the FBI website, and if you look up, uh, I think uh, economic espionage. The uh, there's there's you have corporate espionage, economic espionage. Economic espionage is country against company. Corporate is Corporate espionage is company against company. If you go look at the uh, economic espionage page on the FBI website, you'll see almost uh, all the cases involve uh, Chinese nationals or or ethnic Chinese. So, yeah, they take it seriously. Then I guess I would wonder how it is that they have allowed um, China's sponsorship of the World Health Organization uh, to get in between parents and families uh, with the lie of transgenderism, um, with the sex ed that they push, um, with the Wuhan lab, um, with all these, uh, these, you know, Chinese, uh, I guess, it's a colloquial phrase, secret agents operating on our West Coast. Um, and I've talked to our common friend, our friend in common, Brian Suits, does a great radio show out of Seattle. In fact, hey, I used to do that, that time slot where he says a lot of these operatives locate themselves next to airports and, and high-tech facilities and military bases. I, I guess um, if they're taking it seriously, um, I'm wondering where the, the product of their seriousness is at. Uh, where, where, where are the actual activities that would show they're taking it seriously? Well, there, there's a heck of a lot of work to be done. Uh, make no mistake about that. Um, with the uh, problem is, you know, in the United States and our society, you actually have to 
catch him in the act pretty much. You may know as all these MSS agents on the West Coast, but until you catch them doing something, it's hard to do something about them. Um, but yeah, you've got uh, one report I heard is uh, a Chinese company had bought farmland near an Air Force base in, uh, I think, one of the Dakotas. Um, but yeah, yeah, you have to catch them. And I'm not saying, you know, government is far from perfect. I'm, I'm definitely not a, a big government fan. Um, there's a, you know, people tend to rise to their own level of incompetence uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, government work. Uh, but it's a lot to be done. It's, it's, it's a major threat and we need to do more. We need to get, they're taking it seriously, but we need to do a lot more to counter the threat. There was a bill. There was a bill that was promoted um, by some Republicans in D.C. that would ban China from purchasing our farmland and and therefore our water rights. And they're competing with Gates and Buffett for that. So I agree. There's a lot of work to get done. Uh, I will begin looking for work product in that front because seems to me if we're allowing the Chinese Communist Party, because no, no Chinese company is coming over here without the permission of the Chinese Communist Party and purchasing that much farmland, right? And that many water rights, that's, that's, that's okayed by, by their party, right? Yeah. 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 That's uh, de- definitely there's involvement with the uh, Chinese government behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, but I think probably one of the uh, best things that, you know, individuals and companies can do who have, again, their own proprietary processes, whether they just work here in the United States or they're involved with the work in China, is to do it themselves, is to take charge of their own uh, security, their own, uh, you know, develop programs to protect their secrets, train their people when they uh, when they travel abroad or in the United States. Like I said that there are people that'll go around and try to recruit people here in the U.S. to betray their companies. And a, a lot of companies don't know what they don't know. So they need to get smart and they need to get smart fast and they need to put uh, uh, procedures, policies and train people in place to protect themselves. Yep. And that is uh, amongst the things that uh, Michael Rourke helps people with, with advanced operational concepts, a link there uh, in the podcast notes and, my friend, I appreciate you. appreciate you bringing me uh, down to earth on some things. I feel better after this discussion. Love it when a guest can help me feel better. Um, and I always want to just wish you to go with God's good grace. And I'll be thinking of you and always thankful for what you did for us and continue to do. All right. Thanks, Todd. It's always good to talk with you. And let's do it again. We'll do. Yeah, see, don't you feel better? Uh, you know, the Bible says that we need to seek wise counsel. I don't know that I do that enough on world events. I feel better, but still in my heart, like, I don't know that they get the stakes of the game as well as Mike does. This is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind, and as always, let's try to make sure that we make ourselves right with God.